Yo, this is Axel Rose of Guns N' Roses. Hey, this is Carmen Electra. Hi, this is Daryl Strawberry. What up, though? This is Big Snoop Deal Double G. Hi, this is John Stallard. Hey, yo, Hulk Hogan here. What's up? This is Beyonce. I got a great show lined up for y'all. Hey, yo, yo, yo. Let's get this party started. The Sports Beat. You know what? Let's keep it hot. The Sports Beat is off the chain, man. Ah, yeah. The Sports Beat. Download the podcast now. You're listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. Once again, it's the Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. How is everybody doing out here on a Tuesday? I'm so happy to be here. Just a reminder that you are listening to us on WQEE 99.1 FM, the key out of Noonan, Georgia. And we are brought to you by Ivy Park Sports Bar and Grill, Go Jump and Slide Inflatables, and Christie's Cafe. And on the show today, I'm going to have a special guest. He is a host of a podcast called Talkin' SEC, and he is big in the high school scene in Dothan, Alabama. I'm going to have Philip Jordan on the show, and I'm also going to have my broadcast partner and co-host, Corey Bank, for the Daily Dash, as we're going to recap some of the NFL games that happened over the weekend. Going to talk about this upcoming World Series between the Phillies and the Astros. We had a big Monday night football game last night between the Chicago Bears and the New England Patriots. And some action in the National Basketball Association. I tell you, we've got a great show today. As I approach my 500th episode, I have got a slate of guests that are coming on the show and it is going to be non-stop sports action here in the Fountain City. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe I'm the only podcast local to the Columbus, Georgia, that offers a show five days a week. That's what you're going to get. Local sports content. Going to cover all the local events that happen here in the Chattahoochee Valley. The Chicago Bears get a surprising 33-14 victory over the New England Patriots in Foxborough. Justin Fields was 13-21, 179 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. It was his ground game that was impressive. 14 carries, 82 yards for a touchdown. New England did grab the 14-10 lead thanks to a touchdown pass by Bailey Zappi. He was in at quarterback in place of Mac Jones. But the Chicago Bears, on the road, scored 23 unanswered points, and they get the victory over the New England Patriots. Both teams are 3-4 and four on the season. Action in the NBA last night. Well, the Memphis Grizzlies, man, they look great against the Brooklyn Nets. And they welcome back Dylan Brooks, Desmond Bain. They had all of their players back. I tell you, this Memphis Grizzlies team... They're now my dark horse to represent the Western Conference in the NBA Finals. I mean, they have so much depth on their team. And the Utah Jazz are losing to the Houston Rockets. So this NBA season is just crazy. Got a big game tonight on TNT. The Warriors taking on the Phoenix Suns. That was the matchup I really wanted to see in the Western Conference Finals. But... The Dallas Mavericks ended up beating the Phoenix Suns. Remember, they had the number one seed. The Suns reached the finals two years ago. They still have the same team. They have DeAndre Ayton, Chris Paul, Devin Booker. And I want to see the Suns do well. The Los Angeles Clippers, I I tell you, once they start getting Kawhi Leonard more involved, look out because I think the Clippers 
are going to be a dangerous team. Luka and the Mavs taking on the New Orleans Pelicans. And I'm not sure if, if Zion Williamson is going to play. He is day-to-day. Brandon Ingram is listed as out. And uh, the Boston Celtics get their first loss of the season, losing to the Bulls 120-102. to And the Philadelphia 76ers. I mean, it's a great time to be a Philly sports fan. The Sixers get their first victory of the season. With the Phillies in the World Series, they're taking on the Houston Astros. There are several storylines that are intriguing. One, Bryce Harper, a superstar in baseball, a player that really should have been marketed a long time ago. Bryce Harper is in the World Series. I think that is really cool. He hit five home runs in the postseason so far. And then for the Houston Astros, I want to see Dusty Baker get a ring. He got oh so close in 2002. The San Francisco Giants were five outs away from winning the World Series over the Anaheim Angels. And then that rally monkey came out and they ended up losing it in seven games thanks to Troy Percival and just the electric closer K-Rod. And uh, Russ Ortiz just could not, he got pulled in that eighth inning for Francisco Rodriguez. I remember it well. And that was Dusty Baker's chance at a World Series. 2003, he was also the manager of the Chicago Cubs. That was the Steve Bartman game. But Dusty Baker's been around since 1993 because I remember he became the Giants manager in 1993, took over for Roger Craig, and that's when the Giants won 103 games. They had Barry Bonds. When you are managed by a Dusty Baker team, you call it Dustiny. And I just want to see Dusty Baker get a ring. He deserves it. As a manager, he deserves a World Series ring. I don't necessarily care for the Astros that much. If I'm going to root between the Astros and the Phillies, I'm going to root for the Astros. And a big shout-out to WRBL's Rex Castillo. That's his favorite team. Speaking of WRBL, congratulations to Jack Patterson. He's been a guest on this show. I'm trying to get him on the show next week. It's official. He is now the new sports director at WRBL. Well-deserved. Congratulations. I know all that hard work has paid off. Now the big question is, who is going to be weekend sports anchor? First of all, it can't be me because I have a full-time job. But if they did consider me, I would be so honored to do it and work underneath you, Jack. I really uh, think that you are one of the hardest working people in the industry. And I really just admire your work ethic and... I think it would be a really cool job. I, I really think whoever they get, you know, I hope that they work well with uh, you, Jack. And just best of luck to you. I think that it's just a great journey. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I do enjoy doing this podcast as I'm showing up on uh, 500 episodes. Uh, what am, where am I at right now? Officially, this podcast is episode 489. So sometime in a couple of weeks, I will hit 500 episodes. And as we turn the calendar to November, we've got River Dragons hockey. We got Columbus State men and women's basketball. So on the show on Thursday, I'm going to have the head coach of the Columbus State men's basketball team, Ron Moore, and the Columbus State basketball coach of the women's team, Matt Hauser. As we are going to preview the upcoming season for the Cougars and Lady Cougars, it should be a lot of fun. I cannot wait. So what is going on with Matt Ryan? I cannot believe that 
the Colts are benching him for Sam Ellinger, it's over. It's over for Matt Ryan. I just don't see Matt Ryan succeeding. I mean, he was put in a bad situation. I feel bad for Matty Ice because, you know, I have a Matt Ryan jersey. He led the Falcons to the Super Bowl, won an MVP in 2016. Just a reminder that uh, your 2-0 Columbus River Dragons are facing the Mississippi Seawolves this weekend. And I hope to have leading goal scorer Alex Storjahan on the show. He is leading the River Dragons with five goals. And I had the opportunity to listen to Tom Callahan on the broadcast, and he sounds amazing. Tom, trying to get you on the show, too. I mean, I have actually reached out to Ignite Sports. I want to be the exclusive podcast to cover River Dragons hockey. I've had Jay Krupp on the show, and I want to try to get Alex Storjahan. I want to try to get Bailey McBurney, Josh Pietrantonio, and and some of the the new River Dragons as well. I'm looking at down that roster. There are a lot of new faces in the lineup. All right. Without further ado, I think it is time to bring on my broadcast partner and co-host, Corey Bank, for the Daily Dash. So don't go anywhere. I will be back with Corey. Yeah. Stick around. Welcome back to the Daily Dash. I have got my broadcast partner and co-host, Corey Bank, on the show as we are going to recap some of the NFL games over the weekend. Corey, we had some pretty impressive games. We're going to go ahead and recap the games that we picked last week. It's going to be one swell of a time as usual, Richard. These were amazing games this last weekend. Well, we're going to start with the Cincinnati Bengals beating the Atlanta Falcons. We both picked the Bengals in this game, and it seems like the Cincinnati Bengals are peaking at the right time. Joe Burrow has got his weapons. He's comfortable in the pocket. The Falcons secondary was so depleted and the Cincinnati Bengals win 35 to 17. But the big story in this game is Marcus Mariota cannot get into a shootout with an elite quarterback. I think it is time to let's see what Desmond Ritter has. Joe Burrow was 34 for 42, 481 yards and three touchdowns. He had a perfect passer rating what can i say Corey? this game was dominated by the Bengals, and that's when you're absolutely right richard so quarterback joe burrow and his defending afc champion Bengals are back on track winning for the fourth time in their last five games with this 35 to 7 route on this home triumph over the atlanta falcons burrow bowled out he did complete 34 42 like you said richard amazing stat for 481 and three passing touchdowns. In addition to another touchdown on a quarterback sneak, he came away 71 yards short of breaking Norm Van Brocklin's NFL all-time single game passing yards record of 551. That's something that, I mean, I can't believe at this stage of his career, Joe Burrow had really accomplished. Really that close. Since 1951, Richard, Burrow's 481 yards on Sunday ranked as third most in a single game in team history. Now, in week seven, this Burrow's second game with 400 yards passing, three more passing touchdowns, and a rushing touchdown, making him the fourth player in NFL history 
who had multiple such games. The others who've accomplished this feat are Hall of Famer Peyton Manning, Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers, and Arizona Cardinals quarterback Kyler Murray. Sunday marks the Falcons' first loss against the spread this season, and it also marks the 12th consecutive loss when entering a game with a at least a 3-3 three and three record. So that run of futility with a winning record on the line ties these Falcons 2018-2022 with the 2006-2012 Rams to the longest such streak since the 1970 AFL-NFL merger. So despite falling behind 21-0 to begin the game, Atlanta opted for a run-heavy attack, rushing on 29 of their 42 offensive plays. Quarterback Marcus Mariota had 124 yards on 8 of 13 passing, like you said. On those, his touchdown heaved to Demir Bird at the end of the first half. The strategy made sense with the Falcons looking to keep their wounded defense on the sideline as their top cornerback, A.J. Terrell, left the game in the first quarter with a hamstring injury. So they entered week seven without their number two cornerback, Casey Hayward, after he had a shoulder procedure earlier in the week. The win improves the Bengals to four and three, keep them in the mix for the AFC North division lead. Now Atlanta's loss also keeps them in a tie for first in their division because Tom Brady and his Tampa Bay Buccaneers were stunned with the Carolina Panthers 21-3. Both are 3-4 and four and tied for first in the NFC South. Now, here's why the Bengals won. Burrow had whatever he wanted on the Bengals' first four drives, all which resulted in touchdowns. Three of those were Burrow connecting with his receivers, Tyler Boyd, a 60-yard deep ball over the middle on the opening possession, and Jamar Chase. Boyd and Chase each finished the first half with over 100 yards receiving. It's not really typical in a football game that you see this. So now making them the first wide receiver duo to do so in a first half since Hall of Famer Randy Moss and Wes Welker in the New England Patriots snow-filled 59-0 win over the Tennessee Titans back in 2009 season. That's why the Bengals took care of business, Richard. Your New York Jets, they are now 5-2, and two, but it came with a price they lose Brees Hall running back for the season. Elijah Vera Tucker also out for the season. The Jets are depleted by injuries, but they did sign James Robinson, the running back for the Jacksonville Jaguars. They did get the 16-9 victory in, against the Denver Broncos. Broncos were playing without their quarterback, Russell Wilson. Corey, the Jets are 5-2, and two, but it's kind of bittersweet because they lose Brees Hall for the rest of the season and Elijah Vera Tucker. It really is uh, bittersweet, but the thing is, is that these Jets are red hot. They did take care of the Broncos, 16-9, fourth straight victory. Their first 5-2 start since 2010. Now, the defense was really impressive, creating turnovers, getting penetration in the backfield. C.J. Mosley was stepping up with everything going on, filling the gap, and... That regards Sauce Gardner. When the game was on the line and they had him in man-to-man coverage, they were going to cast Sauce. They got lost in the Sauce. 
Sauce was defending the passes. He's one of the best corners in the game right now in that regard. And Brees Hall gave them a jolt on that sweep to the house early in the game. But you really have to talk about the great kicking of Greg Zerline. Greg Zerline has been impeccable in terms of his precision. Once again, nailing kick. And then something that really doesn't get talked about in the NFL that much, Jets punter Braden Mann. I'll tell you, he kicked one that pinned them back at the, at the Broncos' one. And he is a game changer, flipping fields. So the Jets special teams get some kudos again this week because that's what really kept them in the football game, that regard. And they were able to control the clock. Now, Zach Wilson, he needs to change his game style because um, he is, has not been proficient in throwing screen passes too well. His passing percentages need to come up in terms of making necessary throws, and he needs to make the big plays because, like you said, Richard, Brees Hall being out for the rest of the year with his ACL tear and Elijah Vera Tucker with his elbow injury, James Robinson's going to have to make an impact, and they're going to have to run a two-backfield set between him and Michael Carter, mix things up. And in that regard, they're going to have to play a ball control offense, sustainable defense, gain penetration in the backfield. Quentin Williams is going to have to step up in that regard. And I'm telling you right now, they're going to have to be nearly perfect all year long if this Jets team is going to keep on winning. And their next game is against the New England Patriots, which the Patriots did lose to the Chicago Bears 33-14 last night. That should be a very good game coming up this Sunday. We're definitely going to pick that one, Corey. But uh, let's move on to the 49ers and Chiefs because I have just this bitter taste in my mouth after the Chiefs just went into Levi Stadium and punched the 49ers in the mouth. Patrick Mahomes, no problem. He could torch an elite defense. The Chiefs put up over 500 yards on a 49ers defense who was ranked number one. The, the No more excuses. I know that Nick Bosa was back in the lineup. Jimmy Ward was back in the lineup. The, the difference is the 49ers, they spent all this time getting Christian McCaffrey involved in the offense, and they forgot that Patrick Mahomes is still the best quarterback in this league, and it doesn't matter. And the Chiefs defense is pretty decent. And Jimmy Garoppolo had no answer to go toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes, such a disappointing game. The 49ers lose to the Kansas City Chiefs 44 to 23. Oh, Corey, I this it's it's just bad. It's bad in San Francisco. I'm really sorry to hear that, Richard. It was a really tough day for your Chiefs. No, no, for your 49ers in that regard. But in this game, the Chiefs handled their business against the 49ers. So First time they brought Christian McCaffrey in on this West Coast turf. And McCaffrey, he had a sharp-looking debut with this new squad helping Jimmy Garoppolo and company. They take an early advantage. But Patrick Mahomes proved to be more sustainable in the big play artistry that he has. In the cross-conference clash, spreading the ball around as Andy Reid's squad rolled right over them. 44-23. The Mac Ryan's defense made noise early in the showdown, but 
Polano, Polano Hufunga intercepting Mahomes to help San Francisco go on a 10 to nothing run out of the gate. The Chiefs scored a combined 30 points in the second half alone, though, with Juju Smith-Schuster, Travis Kelsey serving as reliable outlets for Patrick Mahomes and Nicole Hardman scoring three times on the red zone trickery. So Marquez Valdez-Gentling also went off on several deep shots, torching uh, former Chiefs veteran Traverius Ward. So here's why the Chiefs won this football game. One, the Andy Reid-Patrick Mahomes combo remains the standard. A slightly sloppy start, including an early Mahomes pick in his own territory. That did not overshadowed their second half stardom. Everyone almost literally was on display. Travis Kelsey emerged just when he needed to, always finding a way to run wide receiver open, allowing them to be open between Juju Smith-Schuster, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. McCall Hardman turned on the Jets for, like we said, three scores, and Jarek McKinnon spiced up the backfield with a late catch and run. Now Mahomes simply fed them all and his line proved sturdy the entire game, neutralizing San Francisco's typically feisty front. Now, the Chiefs' defense wasn't without its moments, too. LeJarrius Sneed played with confidence on the outside, getting to Garoppolo on a blitz and nearly logging in as a pick well. So, Frank Clark had his best Chiefs performance in recent memory, totaling one and a half sack and hitting Garoppolo twice. Now, including this, this was enough to seal the win for this Kansas City team. All right. In the Sunday night NFL game, the Pittsburgh Steelers taking on the Miami Dolphins, the return of Tua. The story in this game was the Dolphins did not score in the second half. Their defense held on and stopped the Pittsburgh Steelers when the Steelers had multiple chances to win this game. Seven drives in the second half, and they come up empty with zero points. Kenny Pickett on his last two drives gets intercepted, including in the end zone for the Dolphins to seal the victory. This is one of those Sunday night NFL games that I didn't really watch. I mean, I had some uh, fantasy players, so I just I kept an eye on my phone. But did you get a chance to watch this game? And what are your thoughts on this uh, very interesting Dolphins-Steelers game that just wasn't all that exciting in the second half? So in this game, Richard, what I saw is that Tua coming back into this game off his injury, he looked kind of rusty in that regard. He was trying to get pocket precision. They were keeping the pocket open. He wasn't able to make throws over the middle of the field to slant routes over the field to Tyreek Hill and bubble screens to Jalen Waddle. Mike Gisecki, he threw the ball to a couple of times, had a couple drops in the, in the game. So that didn't really help alleviate the stress. Now, the reason why the Dolphins took care of business is because of Raheem Mostert. Mostert was running between tackles very efficiently. The offensive line was able to get him open in that regard. He was able to make the shake moves and lower the boom and really drive the pile. It's the reason why the Dolphins had command in the game, is that they were controlling the game on the ground, and their defense stepped up. When they had injuries in this game, their secondary was flying to the ball, and like you said, late in the game, take it through two interceptions. But the Dolphins' defensive backs were certainly tested because they were decimated with injuries. 
But for the Steelers, what really kept them in this game is because Najee Harris had a decent game running with the football. And the Steelers are playing a bend-but-don't-break defense. They were getting the necessary push up front on their defensive line. That's the reason why they were staying in the game in that regard. But this young quarterback, uh, Kenny Pickett, has a lot to work on. He showed some flashes throughout the game of driving the football down the field, making the right reads. But it looked like it looked apparent that Coach McDaniel's defense was running a spy coverage, meaning late in the game, they purposely had the safety back there, the lone safety back there. Uh, there was a read there that they were baiting Kenny Pickett to throw over the middle of the field, and they specifically put that kind of rover safety, roaming safety in the backfield back there to really look at the quarterback's eyes and look at the tendencies and breaking it down. So for me being able to break down that play, it was evident that instead of Kenny Pickett throwing that route over the middle of the field, he should have checked down that route to his back. That could have saved uh, him time. And that would have prevented him from throwing that first interception. Now the ball that he threw in the end zone, it was a kind of it was it was a kind of ball that he was just trying to throw back in the corner, and he didn't really have anywhere to go with that ball. That should have been something that he just threw that ball away. So now this is stuff that while well, he grows because he's a rookie, that if he didn't make those mistakes, there's a chance there that perhaps on those two drives they could have salvaged field goals, tied the football game, went to overtime. But the bottom line is. Even on the Dolphins' not best offensive performance, they're a gritty bunch, and that's the reason why they took care of the football game, Richard. All right, Corey, as always, great segment for the Daily Dash, and uh, I would definitely talk to you throughout the remaining of this week so we can make some NFL and college picks. Corey, just great having you here on the Daily Dash once again. Absolutely, Richard. Always a pleasure. All right, that was my broadcast partner and co-host, Corey Bank. We will be right back with Philip Jordan. You don't want to go anywhere. We'll be back with Philip. Welcome back to the show. On the show today, I've got a special guest. He covers sports down in Southeast Alabama. He's actually got a couple of podcasts Philip Jordan Sports, talking SEC sports. He covers sports down in Dothan. I've got Philip Jordan on the show. Philip, welcome to the show. Hey, Richard, I appreciate you you asking me on. I'm excited to do this. Been looking forward to it all day, getting to chat with you. All right, so, Philip, uh, tell me, how did you get your start in broadcasting? Like, where did your love for talking about sports came from? Well, I've always had it. it, it, it it's always been there, it, probably about probably when I was about seven, eight, nine years old, just to get around my dad. He's a big sports fan, too, big Auburn and Cowboys fan. And just being around my dad, just, you know, we talked about sports all the time. That's what we did, and then, uh, something that uh, we used to do when he he lived in around the Montgomery area, so he would come down and get me every other weekend or so. And on the way back on Fridays, we'd listen to Paul Feinbaum show. And I know uh, some people may roll their eyes at that one. Some will say, "Okay, cool, I like Paul." But listening to that kind of got me into you know that. But you, know, you get older, you go through different things. And I always, like I said, I was always a big sports fan. Uh, I got out of high school. I thought about I, I was more leaning to the writing because, as you can hear and your audience can hear, and I have a southern accent. So, and I always thought, well, no one would, would dare put this accent on the air, you know, <laughs> like, but then you listen to Marty and McGee on Saturday morning on ESPN and SNS network. So, okay, maybe I have a shot. Uh, 
But I mean, that's kind of like where it started. Just always going to always be a big sports. I've always been a big football and basketball person, not as much on the baseball side. Uh, but that's kind of started. And honestly, for the longest, I didn't really think I could ever do this. I had a, a shyness about me. I would talk a lot to people I knew like, really well, but not really put myself out there. I was more focused on the writing side, being a writer. Uh, but eventually, I just decided to start podcasting. And then I, I did that. And then I you meet the right people. Then I got my first opportunity uh, doing high school football back in 2016. Uh, when Dothan, before Dothan and Northview consolidated to become what is now the Dothan Wolves, there was the Dothan Tigers and Northview Cougars, and I became uh, on the broadcast team for Dothan Tigers football when we had an ESPN field in Dothan. So that's kind of how how it all started with that. All right, let's talk about those Dothan Wolves because they're off to a very good start, and they're 5-3 and three on the season. We've got a team up here in the Chattahoochee Valley. You know, I have a podcast that's based out of Columbus, so mm-hmm. we support the Opelika Bulldogs. They are playing the Dothan Wolves this Friday night. And, well, of course, this is going to record next week, but that's a huge playoff game for playoff implications in 7A Region 2. But Dothan has had quite the season, 5-3, and 3-3 three, three and three in the region. They actually played Central very close. Mm-hmm. They played Central very close. It, I mean, are you impressed? Uh, I mean, how impressed are you with the Dothan Wolves season going five and three with a possible chance at making the playoffs yeah and you mentioned that matchup with opalaka that's pretty much a playoff game i mean this 7a region two is a stacked region i mean you've got auburn and central phoenix city at the top and then you just look at what central phoenix city just recently did against auburn i mean we all thought that maybe auburn it was auburn in a class of their cell on their own but then you know central phoenix city uh took care of business against them and then you've got teams like prattville who dothan beat uh, Opelika, good coming up from 6A, their first year in 7A, very impressive potential playoff team. Enterprises there. They had the unfortunate part of uh, playing their first two region games was against Auburn and Central Fitting City. And you sit there in Dothan and you ask about Dothan, very impressed with what uh, head coach Jed Kennedy has done in year one. Uh, we record the coaches show with him once a week, and uh, that airs every Thursday night on 96.9 The Legend. Anybody wanted to check that out? And you're just talking to him each week. You're very impressed. I mean, it's a big difference from what they've been the last two years because with Dothan, when they became the Wolves, when the consolidation occurred, uh, they first year they were 6A still. They were still in 6A that first year they won the region, and then they jumped to 7A. And there was a lot of excitement coming off a, a region champion that first year as a as a team with the Wolves, and then going to 7A. And it, it's been tough. It, it's been a tough two years. So you come into this season – and they've been very impressive. A change of offense. They they run more of the single single wing offense. Of course, before that, under previous head coach uh, Smitty Grider, they ran more of a a spread attack. Uh, so, and they've got a lot of running backs on this team. And, you know, and they just they just have a will about them. They don't give up. They don't quit. It doesn't matter what's going on in any of these games. Uh, the only game that kind of got out of out of reach for them at one point was really was the Auburn game, and then last week against Enterprise. That was. That was a tough loss for the Wolves. But overall, other than that, they've been in every game, even other ones they have lost. You mentioned Central Phoenix City. What I heard them in that one was they got down by two scores and just trying to get within that last score. They just couldn't do it. But they never quit. Uh, Dothan ran out of time that game. Central, uh, they didn't lose the game at Central. They just ran out of time. But, yeah, Jed Kenny just got this team, and they have a belief. I mean, they're deepened this season. At uh, this point of the season before, they were always out of the playoffs. This, they are in it, and – 
against Opelika, that is a playoff game. I mean, especially on the Dothan side, it's probably a must, must win for them. But it's just – I think the city has really got behind this team. They love the Dothan Wolves, and uh, Ripu Stadium is, is packed out all the time. The Opelika game will be the last home game of the season. But, yes, super impressed, really impressed with what head coach Jed Kennedy has done in, uh, in, in year one with the Dothan Wolves. So you cover sports in the Dothan market for 96.9. You have several podcasts, including a high school podcast, talking SEC podcast, and you have the Philip Jordan podcast. You are a busy guy in the broadcast industry. I thought I was busy, but I've, I've seen your work. You do a great job. But what is the sports scene down in Dothan? What are some of the fan bases that you are accustomed to dealing with on a weekly basis? I tell you what, Dothan's a good spot for sports fans. I mean, look, it's the only sports we really have is high school football, but the fans. And you talk about, you know, I do the podcast Talking SEC, and you have so many different fans in this area because obviously you have the Alabama and the Auburn fans, but you also because one when you're in Dothan, I'm only like an hour away from Troy, and you know, head coach John Sermon's doing a fantastic job year one with the Troy Trojans. But you also have – there's a lot of Georgia fans. There's a lot of Florida and Florida State fans. Uh, you also have – you know, there's a few Tennessee fans, maybe a few LSU fans sprinkled in there. So that's the interesting thing with Dothan. Yes, percentage of fans are Alabama and Auburn fans, but you also just got those other universities around too, uh, which makes it fun. So you're going to run into people that maybe like different teams than you would think if you are like in central Alabama, which is going to be 100% dominated by Alabama and Auburn fans. And having Troy not too far away is also nice, too, because you can drive at Troy, go see a college football game, and you're not far from home. You can get home and watch the rest of the games. So your love for college football, I mean, it it really starts with your passion starting this podcast, but do you have a favorite college football team? Okay, so here's something I do about that. I do have one, but I never uh, admit it uh, publicly because I, I don't want to – get criticized for being biased toward one or the other, especially in the state I live in. So, but you could probably assume it with the team I write about for last one on college football, but I never openly admit on the air or on my show who I'm a fan of, I guess you would say. I mean, of course, yeah, let's just, you know, let's, you know, call it what it is. I cover Auburn for last world college football. That's the team I mostly write about, uh, but I try to keep it more on a biased professional level too, as well. I mean, I've been I've been accused of being an Alabama fan. I don't know how many times because how much I've praised Nick Saban and what they do. And then I like watching Bryce Young play football. It's one of the joys of Saturdays. This past when they play Tennessee, I I, I gained so much more respect to him in a loss than I ever have in a victory for Bryce Young. But you know, I, I I try to not come across as a fan of a team, even though there is one I am a fan of. I will admit, uh, but I, I try to keep it on that even kill level. Well, the scenery in college football, especially down in the SEC, has been incredible. Uh, you have teams like Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama just fighting for it. We may get three teams in the college football playoff. I mean, that's a possible. I know we're, I know we're not trying to be SEC biased. I'm up in Columbus. You're down in Dothan. So we are in the heart of SEC football. But, Philip, you know, I'm actually originally from California. Get this. There's no passion for college football whatsoever in California. So this was a culture shock when I did move here in 2005, but I love it. I absolutely love college football. I am a Georgia fan. 
But I also I talk about Georgia Tech on my podcast as well. I mean, I want to try to keep it local as well. I mean, that's what you got to do. You mm-hmm. you do have the teams you root for, but you also want to give those teams that are in your area love. Yeah, absolutely. And SEC football is just it's just insane. I, I um I was listening to a podcast a while back and it had Trent Dilfer on there as a guest, and he said something I never really thought about the SEC, but it really rings true. He said what difference between the SEC and the rest of it, the SEC is like semi-pro compared to the other conferences. Like it, it is almost at a pro level with the quality of play and how how it is and the facilities and just how they treat the teams. Maybe not Vanderbilt. We'll, we'll leave Vanderbilt out of that conversation sure. uh, when it comes to maybe the pro level. I'm sorry, Vanderbilt fans, the five of you that may, you know, that, that are out there you, you, that could be listening to this. But yeah, it's just it's it's insane. I mean, really, just the passion, you know, the love. And, and you're right. Now you said SEC bias. Now I will admit to that bias. I am biased for the SEC. Uh, and I, I will wave that flag all day and all night long about the SEC being the best conference. And when people come at me, to even in years when the SEC has not won the national championship, I say, okay, wait till the NFL draft. Tell me how many players come from the SEC. Tell me how many other players come from other conferences. Yeah, on that year, they may have not won it all when their team may have won it all, but we know each and every year the best players are coming out of this conference, and that's why it's number one. And there's no there's no close competitor, in my opinion. We seriously were entertained by an incredible football game last weekend. Tennessee beats Alabama 52 to 49. That knuckle kick, the fans storming the field in Neyland, the goalposts somewhere in the Tennessee River. This, it doesn't get any better than this. This is what college football is all about. I am so happy for the Tennessee fan base. I have a lot of friends from Tennessee because I went to college in Tennessee. I actually started rooting for Tennessee, but I moved to Georgia in 2006, and I rooted for Georgia because they're the local team. And I like Auburn because they're in the Columbus area and you know, right on the border of Alabama and Auburn, right in the heart of SEC country. We have just a mixture of college football fans. It's really a passion that you don't get anywhere else in the country. And I'm sorry, Ohio State fans. I just don't see the passion from Ohio State fans because you have the Browns. You have the Bengals. I think that even though there are some regions, like in Texas, you have plenty of teams, but it's just something about SEC football, Philip. I'm telling you, it's just an adrenaline, and I'm just excited. I anticipate sitting on the couch and watching these compelling games every Saturday. Yeah, and you brought up Ohio State, and I think they, they have a passionate fan base. They're in Michigan, but that's pretty much it in the Big Ten, really. I mean, so I'll ask you this question. I mean, it's your show, but just want to throw a question. You, you brought that up about the Tennessee game. We saw that Tennessee reaction to the fans and i knew it was happening if they beat alabama they were storming the field and i didn't expect to see a goal post be thrown in the tennessee river but you know who knows when you've been dominated by one team for 15 years the way tennessee was uh, how you may react is there a team that ohio state has dominated outside of maybe michigan i wish michigan got that off their back is i don't think there is a fan base that would react that way in the big 10 if they knocked off ohio state after a long a streak of losing it's just different in the SEC you know that that people some people outside the SEC footprint will make fun of that it just means more but it really does because there's a lot of these programs these states with teams that they don't have a protein we look at state Alabama there's not a protein here uh Mississippi there's not now in Georgia there is I know and there's a passion for the Braves there's a passion well I don't know about the Falcons but there's a passion for the Braves 
Oh, uh, but but Georgia's the number one ticket in that state. The the Bulldogs are the number one team in that state, I believe. Uh, yeah, there's the Titans in Tennessee, but the Vols have a whole lot longer history with that. So Arkansas, I already brought it state, you know, Mississippi. They're just South Carolina with what they have with the Gamecocks. They're just, just so many places in the SEC, too. They don't have the pro team or the connection to the pro team as they do with the college team. It's just, it's like I said, it just means more. Philip, I've got to ask you, because the last three seasons, we've had three teams from the SEC, three different teams win the national championship. Georgia won it last year. Alabama won it in 2020. LSU won it in 2019. I got some Tennessee fans that think that Tennessee could possibly win the national championship. Is it going to be an SEC team this year? And can Georgia repeat, or is is Alabama learn their lesson from this loss to Tennessee, and are they going to ride the ship? Is Alabama going to figure it out and just dominate the rest of their schedule? I don't think Alabama's going to dominate it because I, I've seen a trend the last year and a half with Alabama. And uh, when I was doing the latest episode of my show, Talking SEC, me and my guests, we talked. And the 2020 season where Alabama dominated, the Matt Jones year, it feels like it's even further away than it really is. Alabama, when they go away from Bryant-Denny Stadium, when they're not in Tuscaloosa, they seem like a different team the last year and a half. They're not disciplined like you usually expect them to be. The defense, the defensive backs have not been playing well. And I know Tennessee's got an awesome passing game. I know that. But they've had they've had some struggles with other teams lately. Uh, they struggle with Texas. I mean, there's a lot of Alabama fans. I'm sure you saw it. They complained about the referees after the Tennessee loss. Well, my thing is you committed 17 penalties in that game. You also committed 15 against Texas and almost got beat. And I'm just going to say this. This is going to probably sound like a hot take. If Quinn Ewers plays that whole game, I'm not sure Texas doesn't beat Alabama. The way they were throwing the ball in that first quarter before he got hurt, Alabama could stop it. So, and then the last season against Auburn, they struggled in Jordan here. I mean, Auburn, Tank Bisby stays in bounds. Auburn beats them. Uh, they went to Florida last year and struggled. They got beat by AM on the road. So, this Alabama team, and another issue I'm seeing with this team, when they get in those big games like that, they're having to have Bryce Young put on the Superman cape. He's got to play almost out of his world for the chance for him. That's what he did against Tennessee. Uh, and then, honestly, had they almost lost to A&M without him, and then he had to do it against Texas early in the year. So Alabama's a flawed team. I, I, but I still believe they can win the rest of their games and get to Atlanta. They have road games against LSU, which I think that everybody's looking at the Ole Miss road trip. I'm looking at the one to Baton Rouge because I think LSU maybe has found something offensively and if they can beat Ole Miss this Saturday they can go to number one in the SEC West and they're six and two if they win that game I'm just saying I think the game against LSU could be challenging but then you look at Georgia Georgia's got the defense that Tennessee Georgia game is so intriguing to me from so many different levels but the main level is this do I think Tennessee is going to score 52 points on Georgia like they did Alabama no I do not because Georgia has a defense legit defense legit defensive backs if it gets in the 30s, and I know he gets criticized a lot, which I don't think it's just, but I also have to question that can Stetson Bennett win a shootout against Hendon Hooker? Because let's also look at Tennessee right now. They don't have their best wide receiver, Cedric Tillman. When he comes back, that they're going to be even more dangerous on offense. So that's three teams. But if you are asking me to tell you who I think, I think Georgia beats Tennessee. You're asking me right now, I think Georgia will beat Tennessee because in Athens, the Georgia defense is not going to allow those receivers to run free like Alabama did. 
But then that's when you get to the SEC championship game. And then, then you've got Alabama and Georgia. And I do think Alabama, obviously, they would love the matchup with Georgia. And those two going back and forth. I could see Alabama winning that. But then if it's close, you're going to have to put Georgia in there. So I don't think a third SEC team would get in this year, to be honest. So if Tennessee's sitting there with one loss in a, in a close game against Georgia, I don't think they get in because I I don't think Ohio State's going to lose to Michigan at the end of the year. And I think they would put Ohio State in. And also I do believe that if Clemson goes undefeated, they're in the playoff. But then you've got the two SEC teams in that scenario gets in. But I do believe an SEC team will win it all. But I do have also, if Alabama plays Ohio State in the playoff, that, that team's got a lot of receivers and they got a really good quarterback. Now, Ohio State hasn't played anybody this year. So that's another situation. But I do believe that an SEC team will win it all. I wouldn't be shocked if Georgia wins it all again, but also wouldn't be shocked Alabama wins it this year because I have that much faith in Bryce Young as a quarterback that he could carry that team across the finish line. Okay, Philip, I got a college football playoff scenario for you. Okay. Ohio State, Clemson, TCU, and UCLA are all undefeated. Does a one-loss SEC team, and let's say Georgia's got a loss, Bama's got a loss, and Tennessee's got a loss. Does no SEC teams get left out of <coughs> – sorry about that. Does, does an SEC team get left out of the college football playoff? There is no way that happens. Absolutely no way. Uh, you brought up TCU and UCLA. I don't think it matters if they go undefeated. Honestly, I think Strength one schedule. Yeah, and, and I think the respect factor. I don't think I think a lot of people now look at uh look, no offense to TCU. They're they're playing great. Max Duggan, man, he's incredible to watch. They're they're a fun team to watch. They need Oklahoma or Texas to be undefeated to get a team in the playoff, the Big Twelve, in my opinion. Because the, the name I think name brands matter. They shouldn't, but I think it does when it comes to committee. And then the, the Pac twelve is just They've taken such a hit. I think if USC was undefeated, that's different because, once again, the brand name may help give them a little bit extra points within the, the committee. Like well, I said, I that shouldn't that shouldn't matter, but we know it does. I mean, there's a reason why that when, there was that one year Ohio State. They didn't even win the Big Ten, but they got put in over Penn State. I mean, we know why, because it's Ohio State. But anyway, if, they will not leave an SEC team out. And I believe – a one-loss SEC team or even a one-loss SEC non-champion, like that scenario I put out, if Alabama beats Georgia but it's a close game and Georgia has to one loss, I put them over those teams. Now, Clemson and Ohio State is different. They've they've got their respect, and I think people look at them differently. But just the Big 12 and I, without Texas or Oklahoma being that team, and, of course, the Pac-12, I think that, that that's an uphill battle for both those teams teams coming out of those conferences nationally a lot of people are rooting for tennessee to do good because on the national scene they're tired of seeing the same exact teams in the college football playoff the alabamas the clemsons the ohio states so a team like michigan who did get in the college football playoff last year because they finally got over the hump and beat ohio state if we saw michigan or tennessee uh, that would actually be good for the national brand but i'm telling you philip i mean oklahoma has been disappointing Texas, they even though they look good, and if Quinn Ewers plays in the Texas Tech game, I think Texas only has one loss. And you got to look at that twenty to nineteen loss to Alabama and and look at it as a moral victory, even though there's no such thing as moral victories. But college football is just a lot better when you have the national brands like USC and Michigan and and Tennessee actually doing well. Yeah, I mean, and I'll be honest with you, you know. 
and you said national. It also helps the SEC, Tennessee being better as a whole. But nationally, it does help too. Just having these these brands get good again helps the sport because I do believe it has hurt the sport recently. It always feels like it's Alabama, it's Ohio State, and even for as long as it's Oklahoma every year, and then Clemson most years. I mean, they've been in the playoffs most years too as well. Having teams rise up that haven't been good lately that used to be good and can add to that helps. Uh, like you said, Texas, them being really good. We need – the college football world needs Texas to be really good again. They need USC to be really good again. Those programs, and you, and you add that in, then it's like, okay, let's just pencil in the four teams before the season starts, which is what we always do. I mean, going into the year, everybody was all about Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State. And look, we may still get the – and then you got Clemson. We still may get the regular players in the playoff at the end of this season. But I think the road to it this year is going to be fun. And they're really going to have to go through some stuff to get there because I wouldn't be shocked if we had a bunch of teams with one loss in there. But it does help out the sport because people get tired of seeing these exact same teams. But I will say this with the 12-team playoff coming eventually. They need to get more teams on the West Coast in this thing just because for to keep that side of the country interested in what's going on. Uh, We talked about earlier, maybe, you know, the passion is not there. Maybe that's from the fact is their teams haven't been competing for championships. They they haven't been getting it, which that's their own fault because they don't feel teams that are good enough to be there. But now if you start getting the bigger playoff, those teams get in there, there'll be more interest there. Uh, but yeah, the big programs that used to be good that are now getting good again. I think if Nebraska could be competitive, I'm not saying national championship level, but they if they could get to be in a nine ten a nine win team again, that would help out big. A uh, Michigan being a a foe for Ohio State in the Big Ten helps tremendously. And I'll tell you another team I would I hope can get there again, and I think Mike Norvell is doing a solid job this season with Florida State. I know they're four and three and they've lost a few games in a row. But if they can get Florida State back up to the national level, that will be huge, too, in the ACC. Well, Philip, I've had a blast just having you on the show, and uh, your knowledge of college football is just incredible. And uh, keep doing great things down in Dothan. Uh, before I let you go, i got to ask you, you ever heard of the Dothan Snipers? No, that's something new for me. I, I don't think I've, I've ever heard of that. So there's a uh, there's a new basketball league, and if you're familiar with it, it's called the Professional Basketball Association. We have the Georgia Vipers here in Columbus, and and the a team that's in their league is is called the Dothan Snipers. Uh, they do have that Civic Center. You know, I drive into Dothan every time we go down to Florida for vacation, and I know that. Uh, do you think that Dothan, the city of Dothan? could support a semi-pro team like an indoor soccer team or an arena football team? The arena football, and, and I'll, I'll say this, I go to about two or three Columbus Lions games a year. I love it. I, I've always been a fan of arena football, and I always said I was going to go to games, and then for years I didn't go. I would watch on YouTube or whatever. But then last year I started going, and this past season I did there as well. I don't think the Civic Center is big enough even to hold a an arena football team, to be honest with you. I don't, even know, I don't know if the logistics of it would work. Now, I think where it would work, and Dothan has tried in the past applying for this, and they've even had people come through Dothan and try to look at it. A minor league baseball team would work, I think, in the Dothan area. Uh, but they, they, you know, a single A team, because one, there's actually quite a, a few amount of high school guys that come through the Dothan area, all the different areas in the Wiregrass. 
that have made it to play in Major League Baseball. Uh, I think uh, I think their best bet would be minor league baseball. Uh, I don't know about the basketball side of stuff. I don't know if a, a semi-pro basketball team long-term would work here. It just depends on how successful they were as a team, if they were winning. Uh, but a minor league baseball team, that would be the one that would work. But I think when they did it a few years ago, and I could be wrong with some of my facts here, but if I'm, my memory serves correct, I do believe they said they just don't think that the area would support it. I, don't, I doubt it. I know. There, there's, been, I th- there's plenty of people that love baseball here in the Dothan area uh, because just it's not just Dothan. It's the Wiregrass. You've got Ozark. I mean, I think people from Troy would come. You've got people uh, from the Panhandle of Florida. We're right here. At, there, there's so many people that would support that. Uh, but, you know, that's my opinion. But I, of all of them, you know, that, that's a long way of saying. Uh, sorry for being long-winded, but I do think a minor league baseball team would be the best ticket of working in Dothan. Philip, you do great work down there in Dothan, and uh, good luck to the Dothan Wolves, and and hopefully they can uh, make it into the playoffs for 7A, and uh, definitely would love to see you at a Columbus Lions game in the near future. Uh, but, yeah, it's been great just having you on the show. I appreciate it, man. I've had a blast talking with you. I always love talking uh, uh, all things sports, especially when it comes to SEC football. All right, that was Philip Jordan, host of a podcast called SEC Talking that was Philip Jordan, host of a podcast called Talking SEC. He's in the high school scene down in Dothan, and he also has the Philip Jordan Show. Thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of this show, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Bye, everybody. You've been listening to The Sports Beat with Richard Holdry. We invite you to download and subscribe. You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Google Cast, Stitcher, iTunes, or wherever fine podcasts are found. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share with your friends and family. This has been The Sports Beat, with your host, Richard Holdry. Produced in Columbus, Georgia. Extra production provided by J.D. Matthews. All opinions stated herein are those of the host and do not represent the opinions of Anchor Podcasts. Copyright 2020, all rights reserved.